Meet Sarah, a skilled marketing professional in search of her next career move, and David, the hiring manager at XYZ Marketing Solutions. Sarah recently applied for a senior marketing strategist role at the company, and her application caught David's attention. He was so impressed by her credentials and her experience, he decided to go ahead and get get an interview on the calendar, right? And as Sarah entered this sleek, modern lobby of XYZ Marketing Solutions, she couldn't help but feel a sense of excitement and anticipation. She did her research on the company, and she was genuinely enthusiastic about the opportunity and, and the possibility of working there. The glass doors slid open, and Sarah walked into the reception area where she was greeted by a friendly receptionist named Lisa, who offered her a cup of coffee while she waited for David. Now, this is David. He was dressed in a, a sharp suit, and he greeted Sarah with a warm smile and a firm handshake, and he ushered her into the interview room. Now, this was a very well-lit room. It was adorned with awards and accolades that the company had received over the years, and it had a panoramic view of the city skyline. So it was pretty nice, right? And as the interview progressed, David painted this vivid picture of life at XYZ Marketing Solutions. He spoke really passionately about the innovative projects that the team was working on, the collaborative culture, all the opportunities for career growth within the company. And Sarah was, was thrilled, actually, to hear about the dynamic environment and the chance to work on cutting-edge marketing campaigns. However, however, as the interview neared its conclusion, David began to sense that maybe Sarah might have some reservations. He could see the uncertainty in her eyes as she hesitated before asking her final question. You all know this. You know, typically during an interview, there's a, a point when you stop, you pause, and you ask the person that you're interviewing, do you have any questions for me, right? And that's when he started to see her hesitate. So she said, David, I'm really excited about this role and everything that you've shared about the company, but I also believe in transparency. So can you tell me about some of the challenges or or maybe even some of the areas where the, the team might be looking for improvement. It would really help me understand this role a little bit better. Well, David paused for a moment. He was kind of weighing his decision, weighing his response. And while he was proud of the company's achievements and positive aspects, he also recognized that there were very real issues that might scare Sarah away. Put yourself in, in David's shoes. Put yourself in Sarah's shoes, even. Sometimes managers have a tendency to embellish, exaggerate, even hide things, really key details, right, during an interview. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Are there any risks associated with that? What might a manager say or do to kind of avoid overpromising and under-delivering? We're going to talk about that today. Stay tuned to hear what our guest, Sam Yankelvich, a former global operations executive turned author, trainer, and international speaker, has to say about this particular scenario. It's time for a sneak peek. Sneak peek, sneak peek. In any sector, 
you can use these methodologies to approach a problem. And the big first thing I, I explain to people is, is the word problem should not be a problem because just like we were talking about failure before, it, it's kind of like, oh my God, there's a problem. People then, they stay silent, they avoid it, they deny that there's an issue. And problems don't want to be ignored. They Problems hate being ignored. They will come back with a vengeance, grow, and, and problems become bigger and bigger. So that's one of the things that I'll be expanding on, trying to get more uh, folks involved in solving problems, especially, by the way, human resources personnel that are daily solving issues of attrition and turnover. And how do you hire today in, in, in today's world where people don't want to work? You know, there's a generation that is so difficult to, to attract and engage. And so I've taught these these systems to HR managers, stuff like that. So on the on the business horizon, that's that's one of the things for me. And then the other one is a sequel to my failure book, which is gonna be more about the use of words and how you can actually design your own words to design your own world. And now on with the show. When you're feeling the pressure, take a moment to step back, pick up your marbles, and choose to lead with levity. Join us on the Lead with Levity podcast for fireside chats that will fill your bucket and help you get back to being the leader you were meant to be. Now here's your host, Dr. Heather Walker. Happy New Year and welcome to the Lead with Levity podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Walker, and I am so excited for all that this year has to offer. I spent some time reflecting on all of the wonderful guests that we had last year, all of the conversations that we had about how to overcome some of the challenges that we face in life, some of the, the fears that we have around giving and receiving feedback, around sort of busyness, and, and what does it look like if I just take a second to pause? Does that mean that I am no longer effective? and efficient and getting things done? What does that mean for my identity? How can we restructure our lives in a way that we can have more joy? So we had some wonderful, wonderful conversations last year. And I am looking forward to the conversations that we're going to have this year. We're focusing in on 12 big challenges. These are 12 of my favorite problems. <laughs> and I am looking for guests this year around 12 of my favorite problems to solve. And if you are interested in finding out what those challenges are, I encourage you to go to www.leadwithlevity.com slash podcast to see what we are focusing on this year. So we'll be focusing our conversations around 12 big ideas and really looking for guests who are experts in these areas. And these are areas around things like how do you how do you build trust and rapport and healthy relationships? How can you even use technology to support your ability to do that? How can we be more intentional about the way we show up and and the impact that we have in the workplace? How can we make superhuman progress without burning out? How can we be more present? How can we shift unhealthy workplace norms and address unhealthy workplace norms? 
How can we make learning fun? How can we find our voices this year? And how can we bring others along in the process? So you're in for a treat. And something that we're also going to be incorporating into our conversations this year are scenarios. So each episode is going to have a different realistic scenario that these are scenarios that leaders often face when they're trying to manage people on board and and manage performance and all all the things. So we'll go through a scenario and I'm going to ask our guests who are experts in their fields to provide their perspectives, their thoughts, and their recommendations. I'm even going to challenge them to apply the frameworks that they have put forward for us to these scenarios. My goal this year is to provide even more support, thought leadership, suggestions, tips, guides. Hold me accountable, (laughs) y'all. It's coming. It's happening. So without further ado, let's get into this first episode. Kickstart this year off right. Welcome to the Lead with Levity podcast and welcome to 2024. I'm so excited for this year. I'm so pumped for this year, y'all. There's so many good things that are coming to you, so many good things that are coming to me, so many good things that are coming to our new guest that we have in this season. And I am so excited to announce our new format for this year. So I'm your host, Dr. Heather Walker, and I am so excited to announce our next guest, Sam Yankelevich. And Sam is an amazing person that you need to know. He insists that not only is he too old to grow up, he is also too young to stop learning, and he's delighted to give back. His latest book is also his first stab at fiction, y'all. It's called An Interview with Failure. So if you've been following us through 2023, you know that we dedicated last year to helping you overcome all of the various fears of a failure. And so I encourage you to to check out Sam's book on an interview with failure, which is actually a fiction, which is, is very interesting. We'll dive into that in just a moment. So Sam's a former global operations executive turned author, trainer, international speaker. You can find him on LinkedIn Learning. He's one of the LinkedIn Learning instructors, and he is the author of over five books, leveraging lean thinking to everything from from that to improving communication as well as team alignment. Sam, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you, Dr. Walker. Uh, How are you? Good to uh, be here on your show. I'm fine, and uh, I hope you are as well. I am. I am. And I'm so excited to learn a little bit more about you and your story. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this concept of failure? I mean, you wrote a whole book on an interview with failure. What is what is that about? That is about, well, first of all, it is my first work of fiction. And that in itself was takes a little bit of courage to jump in and write something that is, you know, a little bit different for from what I'm accustomed to, an exercise for myself, and then somehow a way to provide some, you know, avoidance of fear for those people that have this mindset that failure is something bad. You know, out there, there's so much about failure these days, talking about fail fast, fail forward. 
all of these ideas. I still encountered a lot of folks, you know, while I was training people in companies in at my client companies that have this fear of failure and it, it impacts creativity, innovation. And so I said, Hmm, why don't I take a stab at this with my own crazy perspective? And I said, <laughs> what would happen if I interview failure? If I actually go there to the source, to the root and ask failure, what failure is. And it's amazing how you sit down, you know, as a writer, and you know this, Dr. Walker, as a writer, you sit down and I usually do this at 5 a.m. when it's quiet. And it's like these ideas are starting to pop in. And I ended up writing a lot of content, many drafts, because as everybody that has written anything knows that you're just writing drafts and drafts and drafts until something made sense, it clicked <laughs> and it worked out. I think don't see myself as somebody that is writing from a perspective of a psychologist, cause I'm not. And I said, what voice can I use? And so the book is written in as an interview, as almost as a podcast, like what you do hmm. and the podcast guest or the interviewee is failure. Oh, I'm so curious. What kind of person is failure? Ah, so a little bit of a spoiler alert before I came up with details to write the book, because you usually male and female voices in an interview and, mm. and the names of the people are dead giveaways. Mm -hmm. When I spoke to my friends that, you know, my male friends, I would ask them, is failure a male or a female? And they, and what did they say? for the most part, males are, are going to say, or for the most part, they said it's a female. When I asked my female friends and family, females are saying failure is a guy. Hmm. And so That's interesting. it was quite interesting. You know, I, I mean, I can't say I have a, 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 enough data to put this up there and say, you know, this is a real study. But with that, I had to then put the name of the interviewer pretty much as a, with a non-gender name. Robin Finch, which could be male or female. And then failure yeah. has no gender in responses, which is quite difficult in English, by the way, because you don't have the el, ella, or like in French, you would have uh, lui, el, which denotes, you know, the female and the, and the male. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was interesting, but it kind of worked out and, you know, now it's in print and it was just, for me, it was an exercise in helping others. I have signed a lot of copies given away. And when I do, I always say, this is not for you. Like you might know somebody that can receive some help by write, by reading some of the concepts here. So just pass it on. Mm. That's been kind of the, you know, my approach to the book. So I'm really, really curious about your perspective on this. Why? And, and this is completely separate from any anything else that we're going to talk about today but why do you think it is that that the men that you spoke to thought that women failures a woman and uh, the women said met it's a man it's definitely a man i i i don't know you know at the end of the day the book is about words and images and how each of us creates images based on circumstances and context which is by the way a sequel that i'm that i'm preparing to write which is mm -hmm. going to be more about words but it's very possible that the way that somebody downloaded the word failure into their brains, men did it that way. And, you know, and it's not, it wasn't all of them, but I would say like 95% or more in each of the, in each of the, the cases applied that way. So 
There is wow. something to the way that the word failure is the image that is created. It created as a male or a female, depending on who you ask. So, wow. yeah, it's just very something strange that, that I, I wasn't expecting, but then it drove me to, to choose very carefully the genre of the, of the name, the names and how the person responds. And if you read the book, in fact, I've been working on making this an audiobook. So it poses a problem because then what voice do you use? And it might be that the audiobook has to be in several versions, you know, male and female failure voices. Hmm. It's, so it's, it's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, oftentimes when authors are working on, on their stories and, and doing the research, digging in, asking questions, you have to grow. You have to, it, it sort of transforms you in the process. Absolutely. In what way did this transform you? Well, number one, it made me do a lot of research on what already exists out there as far as failure and enriches the uh, personal approach because in the business, in my, in the business arena, I mean, I, I've been in business for 40 years. I was an employee of companies for 30 something years. And in the past mm -hmm. 10 years, I've been doing, you know, I, I, I kind of got out of the corporate world and started doing my own training and development and consulting. And in, in the business world, failure is dealt, you know, as, as problems. And that's where I have focused probably the past 25 years on teaching people how to solve problems with simple you know, simple ways. You don't have to be an engineer. It's just simple, methodical ways to see a problem and really address it. But the, the development of the failure book really was more of an approach on the personal side of how words impact our behaviors and how our behaviors and habits then impact the way we, you know, we act and, and the, the, the way, the way to success and removing obstacles from, you know, from the way to success by addressing that first thing, which is, you know, what is failure? And once you understand what it is, then that obstacle goes away and your path is a lot wide open. There's a, you know, more opportunity for somebody to actually go out there and seek what they, what they really want without having that fear in the, you know, mm -hmm. the back of their mind. So I've kind you know, for me, it was helpful to do that. And it, and in doing that, I started researching a lot. I, you know, for years I've been reading and studying NLP, neuro linguistic programming, and it fascinates me. I've been looking at things like uh, REBT, rational emotional Be behavior ther therapy, which is so much uh, about words and how words and how we use phrases and words and how those impact our behaviors and, and our success. Uh, so, what I'm hearing, yeah. Sam, is that there is a myth out there sort of a way that people think about failure, a way that we define it that maybe needs to be changed, needs to be reframed. Can you help all of us? How should we think about failure? So, so spoiler alert, because right at the beginning of the book, it's very clear when, when failure asks, so who are you? What are you? Or how is it that you're so responsible for my, you know, for my negative thinking and all this other stuff and failure replies, I'm just a word. And from there, the development, you know, cause it's just a word. And then I went and I researched what is the origin, the etymology of the word failure. And originally 
the word failure was not meant to be anything to be taken personal. It was actually, it comes from the French, faillite, and it is more related to looking at gaps and opportunities to complete something. It Hmm. denotes something that is incomplete that remains to be done. And somehow in the, in the 1500s, when math came along and chemistry and biology and all of the different scientific things that came up, then they used the word failure in a connotation. Uh, in the back, in the back of the book, I list, I think there's like 30 or 40 different meanings, original meanings of failure. The point there, Dr. Walker, is that you don't have to choose the meaning of a word based on how it's written in a dictionary. Who says? Mm. Who says? In, in the book, I mentioned that typically the people that have set our dictionaries up are grumpy old white men. <laughs> Who are not here anymore. We're not here anymore. And they, and, and they randomly decided that this is the meaning and thou shalt follow this meaning. Who says? And so the point or the point there is, you know, choose the meaning of what failure means or what it could mean to you. Different than what you, if your father, your mother, or a a sibling, or a teacher ingrained that into you and said, because of this, you are a failure, and you've personified that into and become a noun for you in your your head, Hmm. just, just remember, you have the choice to go in there and choose whatever meaning you want. In fact, in the book, then later, it's also create your own words. Make up your own words. Why, you know, you know, the rappers are making up words all the time that are, that my kids are picking up and then they get into the, so, you know, to the social media and everybody's repeating words, inventing words every day. Words come and go. Mm. Well, that's kind of the approach for, for what I wrote about the book. So, you know, we, we talk a lot about levity on this podcast and, and how we can infuse our lives with more light moments, more lighthearted moments. And Sam, it's clear to me in listening to even how you're describing, well, who says that you have to have to take on this one definition of failure? There's so many. Pick the one that makes the most sense for your situation. Right. Even even that is bringing a little bit of of lightness to that situation. How what helps you bring more levity into your life? For myself? Yeah. Number one, I, you know, at my age, I'm 65. I just turned 65, Dr. Walker. And I, Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I just got my, <laughs> I got my Medicare card a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Okay. So now you can officially go out there and say, I'm ready for my discount, please. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I get my, yes. I get my discount at the supermarkets and so forth. <laughs> but, you know, you only have one body and the body is attached to your mind. I, I have in the past 20 years you know, discipline myself to, to exercise. I enjoy swimming mm. and I'll tell you a little bit about the swimming and I enjoy walking and often I walk and I won't put on, you know, my headphones or anything, but that is also a moment to listen to podcasts and, and get more education and, you know, get more ideas for, for, for work that I can use to help others. But the swimming part I wanted to share because for many years, I, I my wife and I, have, you know, we met, we did meditation, you know, meditation and yoga and and stuff like this. So swimming for me was a a bit of a problem because I travel a lot. 
travel, yes. if you're lucky, your hotel is going to have a pool, but it's usually a tiny pool. So they have these swimming harnesses you attach to a belt. It, they're, okay. They're like very inexpensive. You attach a belt and you attach a stretch cord to huh. where, to the stairs of, of the railing of the stairs that goes into the water. Like and, a bungee cord. Like a bungee cord. Exactly. And now right. you're, now you're swimming with this bungee cord static. It's a static swim. So think about it because what it allows me to do is to close my eyes because mm. I'm not going to hit the other side. Mm. So I'm swimming and at the same time I'm closing my eyes. And so I'm getting my, you know, I'm getting my, you know, my heart and my, you know, all of the, all of the card, cardio stuff that, that were, that, you know, that you want to get plus a little bit of muscle. But you're closing your eyes and, you know, all of a sudden you get all these ideas and I'm doing this for, you know, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, um, every two or three days I'm doing this. Uh, mm, and, and, I it, love it. and in the hotels, this is in the afternoon. So this brings me joy. It recharges and it allows me to practice the Japanese called Hansei, which is that, you know, really reflection, the internal reflection. To say, hey, how how did my day go? What can I do to improve it? What can I do to improve other people's lives and stuff like that? So a lot of time for reflection and an exercise at the same time. Yeah, it sounds like those those moments are helping you be more present and intentional about how you want to live your life and the kind of impact you want to have on others too. Absolutely, absolutely. My mother, it. my mother always says, "Oh, you work so much. You work, you know." I tell her mom, actually, I'm, I'm 65 and my mom's still thinking about, you know, you're working too hard and so on and so forth. And I say, mom, I enjoy my work so much when I'm, when I see the transformation in somebody else's face because of something that I shared with them from my experiences or something that they actually gained on their own from their own pondering, that gives me joy. So it's, it's, it's also those moments. So it's not only away from work. And so mm -hmm. I've always told her that's not work, what I do, you know, when I'm training others, it's not real work. It's just, you know, it's just a completely different thing. So. Yeah. It's more of a calling. It's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So at the beginning of this, this episode, I, I shared a, a very realistic scenario with you because I, I believe that everything that, that you've been talking about when it comes to. Uh, addressing and, and rethinking about your relationship with failure. How do we bring some of this levity into our lives so that we can be intentional about how we approach work, how we approach others, how we show up? I believe that, that you have a perspective to offer. And this year, I want to help people think through very real scenarios. Yeah. How can, how can we how can we show up in a different way? How can we be intentional about how we approach these scenarios? So I shared a scenario with you about Sarah, this, this marketing professional, and, and David, who's hiring her. Now, when you, when you read through that scenario, I, I just have to ask you, is, is this anything that you've encountered before? Yeah, somewhat, somewhat, because I've been on the other end. I've been on Sarah's end, showing up to an interview not often because my 
my work life was very consistent and, you know, I didn't have to do a whole lot of interviews, but there were those opportunities. So yes, I, I could relate. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And, and knowing what you know now, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think should have happened in that scenario? So when I read it and scenario is in a marketing company. So I look at the context and I think of the, uh, the, the character, David, who is the manage the, the hiring manager. This is a marketing company. So right. I think they live the marketing mindset and everything that David was trying to bring across was very positive and it was more of a marketing pitch than a reality. The spin, pitch. right? Yeah, it was a spin. And Sarah was no dummy. She caught on to that, I think, from the beginning. And I suspect that there was a little issue of trust that was uh, not happening from the beginning, because when you walk into a room, as it's described in your scenario, everything is pristine. you got all the awards on the wall. Everything is nice and clean. That's, that's kind of an, a, a movie set where everything's mm -hmm. perfect, but we don't live in those. Right. That's, that's and what's not, happening below the surface. Yeah. Know? There's something yeah. happening below the surface. Exactly. And that you can, you could pretty much, your intuition is going to, you know, if you've been around the block, like I assume Sarah has from, from the scenario, then you're going to, you're going to say, Hey, something is, something is missing here. And so I think David, if he actually thinks that Sarah is going to be working there and she's going to be a colleague and mm -hmm. she's going to bring something to the table, then he must be looking for some expertise to fill a gap. I would hope so. Complement the teams. Yeah. I think one of the approaches should be to be a little bit more open uh, and share what the issues are, or what are the problems and challenges that the company's having or thinks, it, thinks they're going to have. What are the competitive scenario for the company? What are the next five years look like? How are they approaching AI? How are they approaching this new technologies that are impacting all businesses? And that would have been a little bit more inviting and transparent for for Sarah to know, hey, you know, this is all the good, but here are some of the challenges. And then let Sarah decide, you know, is this my skill set? So that's one, you know, that's one thing that came to mind. And then from the servant leadership perspective, Dr. Walker, for me, it was like, okay, how does David then ask questions to understand what Sarah's gaps in skill set might be for him to hire her and then say, okay. I'm going to complement your skill set and develop you, and I'm going to send you to these trainings so that you could be more efficient and effective in our in our work environment. So that was, that was just a couple of the thoughts that that came to mind when I when I read the scenario. I don't know if that hits home with what you know. With yes, it does. It does. Transparency is sort of the name of the game right now, and and something that that people are expecting. And it's because there's information everywhere, right? You can Google a company. You can find out so much about not just their values and what they, they say they aspire to, but there's news, there's uh, TikTok videos, there's exactly. LinkedIn posts. There's exactly. so much information. Yes. So to assume that someone coming in to interview with you doesn't know these things, <laughs> that puts you at a disadvantage, right? Yes. To assume that they didn't do their homework really puts you at a disadvantage because you could... You could come out and say, oh, yeah, everything is wonderful, beautiful. 
sunshine and rainbows. Mm-hmm. But you're right. If you don't also mention some of the challenges that you're facing, yeah. if you don't ask, you don't get. And you may hire someone who doesn't address any of those things. Yeah. And, this, and there was yeah. something else that I, that, I, that I caught on. I mentioned the word trust earlier in this. So when I read, the, I read in detail how, how David greeted Sarah, he looked at her in the eyes and shook her hand with a strong grip. That's, that, mm-hmm. is, that, is, that was very positive. On the negative side, he shows no vulnerability, is not asking for help. Right. You know, so that for me is like completely the opposite of the, of the, you know, of that handshake. And everything begins with trust. If there's no trust, I mean, why go, why, you know, why continue? And, and so I think that the first meeting is a huge opportunity to establish that. You asked me if I had been in a similar uh, scenario. Many, many years ago, one of my, one of the bosses that hired me for transforming a company left the company and he invited me to an interview for its, for a different venture that he was, that he was driving. And I flew, you know, across the country to meet him. So we had a certain amount of trust because we had worked together before. I walked into his office and he explained to me the new role, what, you know, what it would be if I was interested. And then he said, Sam, all you ha- all you're going to be doing is, you know, and when he mentioned that, I said, Hey, come on, you know, <laughs> really, we know that we know better. All I'm going to be doing is no, you know, that there's this wow. problem and this problem and this has, and this and the customer and the, you know, changing market. So, you know, so it's this mindset of, you know, all you're going to be doing, though, this is so easy. It's a piece of cake. That doesn't send the right, that's not a realistic message. But it, but it does let you know what, it lets you know what their expectations are. <laughs> and it sounds like they were low. Yes. And, and it lets you know that maybe you're overqualified for that position. Okay. Maybe that's something that, that wouldn't be a good fit for you. Yeah, it could be. So, you're right. Yeah. So a lot of assumptions are happening there in that in that mm-hmm. conversation. And I think it merits to really explore those and challenge the assumptions and, and be more clear. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. This has been this has been really helpful. When you talk about building up trust with with someone in that interview process, mm-hmm. are there any recommendations or any advice you might have for a manager who's thinking about how do I build up trust with someone who on paper, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking they look amazing on paper. You know, sometimes managers are just as nervous as the people that they're interviewing, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I, you know, I think it's really, it, it has a lot to do with showing humanity uh, and showing the human side. You know, if you're sitting, you're sitting across, you're wearing a tie, you're acting this position you're acting the role of, you know, whether it's HR or the hiring manager, mm. that's a, you know, that's kind of a putting a, a dressing on, on the person and that, and that's fine. That has its place because you, you're, you're acting on a function, but at the end of the day, it's a human being with another human being. And the first step in establishing trust for me is building a relationship. And for that, there are deliberate conversations that usually are not about work. Hmm. It's not about the job. It's not about the industry. It's not about the company. It's more about your family, your sports, you know, what teams, what, 
what book are you reading? What, you know, what, what move with a recent movie, something more outside of work to establish conversational relationship. And for some people, it's very difficult because they're, they're more like into business and it's all about business and rush, rush, rush. And we have no time for this conversation. Mm. There is no time. But we should take some time to step back and think about the, the impression that, that that gives someone else, especially when we first meet that person. Uh huh. Yes. Yes. And what is one thing that maybe I can share about myself with this new person? Yeah. Yeah. In a workshop, one of the first workshops that I ran, because I, I have to tell you that later, maybe it comes up in the conversation, but I ran workshops with a lot of different cultures. I worked a lot with Germans, a lot with people from Spain, Mexico, Chinese, people from all over the place, really. And many Americans, and I say Americans from the North, the South, the East and the West, and in the middle too. And they're very different, you know, very yes. different cultures. Lots of different subcultures going on and we in do, America. Exactly. And we do a, we do this introduction exercise where we're at, we're trying to establish a relationship with the team. There's 20, 30 people in this, in, in this, everybody's introducing themselves. And then for some of the Germans, they, and I say some of the Germans are very, they're expecting of a respectful separation between your private life and your work life. And so when we got to a couple of, of, of these folks, they said, I don't feel comfortable sharing anything about my private life. It's got no place in this work environment. Ooh, okay. Yes, Sam, what's the answer to that? Because I've heard that before too. So, so <laughs> our instinct was to reply, thank you for your reply. You're showing your humanity. And that's really what we're looking for. Because they were, they were, they had this human need to keep that separate. And for us, that's was the, the, one of the biggest items in this workshop was for everybody to, to be able to show their humanity and share their humanity. And, 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 you know, because it was all about improving communication, improving trust. And that was kind of the, and that was like, wow, when, when, you know, when that came up, it was a great opportunity. And then. You know, pretty much 95%, 98% of the folks shared something. And then there were those that didn't, and that was okay. Mm -hmm. It was okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was perfect. It was really a perfect moment. So yeah, that's, yes. that's what came. It's authentic. There's some vulnerability in there. Exactly. But that, that individual didn't step so far out of, off the ledge that, you know, they're, that it hurt their reputation or anything like that. And I think sometimes leaders are afraid of, of what that will do to their reputation, yeah. what that'll do to their credibility if they let people know that I don't understand this, I don't feel comfortable talking about this, you know, I just want to focus on the business. But that's important too. We have to remember that that people follow leaders. They and and they follow they follow people you know, the, the person behind that leader. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. yeah. So believe it or not, we're actually coming to the end of our time today. Oh my goodness. That was <laughs> I know, I know. So I, I have a question for you. What is on the horizon for you this year? So what are you looking forward to? Yeah. So we didn't really get to talk about this, Dr. Walker, but something that I've been doing for the past, I think five, six years you know, because I got into consulting, it ended up being more of corporate training and it's about problem solving. So 
you know, the life of the, the life at work is all jumbled up. We're in meetings all the time, running around, busy, busy, busy. And there's all these problems and there isn't a function in the company that you can go to and say, hey, we have this problem. Please go and solve it for us. I mean, there's a suggestion box. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, that's again, it's yeah. just you can fill it up and there's just going to be so many suggestions in there. But the problems don't go away right. automatically. People have to work right. with this. And what we have found out, what I have found out is that we are not trained to solve problems. And we think that there's engineers that have to jump in and do this or specialized people. So I have approached this through the lens of what I've learned from uh, Toyota. Toyota has this system that is very famous in the world. It's based on continuous improvement and it's really about solving problems. And they have done it in such a way that they can teach and train anybody at any level to do this without having going, without having anybody, even that went, they, even if they didn't go to school, they're able Are to do this. Sam, are we talking about the five whys or is yes, something in fact, different? Yeah, it's part of the five whys. So it's one, oh. it's one of the methodologies. But before you get to the five whys, there's several things that have to happen. And so what we're doing is really allow, you know, showing people how to do this. And this is like a huge eye opener for a lot of folks. So my, my take is for the next years... And by the way, that's, you know, on my LinkedIn learning, I have like three or four courses. In December, I'm going to be shooting two more courses that, that are related to this because people are very thankful mm -hmm. that they can, you know, if they're, they might be in a service industry, in a hotel, they might be in healthcare, they might be in banking. You don't have to be in manufacturing or supply chain. Of course, in those, you have to be solving problems every day, but in any sector, you can use these methodologies to approach a problem. And the big first thing I, I explain to people is, is the word problem should not be a problem because just like we were talking about failure before, that it's kind of like, oh my God, there's a problem. People then, they stay silent, they avoid it, they deny that there's a, an issue. And problems don't want to be ignored. They Problems keep being ignored. They will come back with a vengeance, grow, and, and problems become bigger and bigger. So that's one of the things that I'll be expanding on, trying to get more mm -hmm. uh, folks involved in solving problems, especially, by the way, human resources personnel that are daily solving issues of attrition and turnover. And how do you hire today in, in, in today's world where people don't want to work? You know, there's a generation that is so difficult to, to attract and engage. And so I've taught these, these systems to HR manager and stuff like that. So on the, on the business horizon, that's, that's one of the things for me. And then the other one is a sequel to my failure book, which is going to be more about the use of words and how you can actually design in your own words to design your own world. Hmm. That is so fascinating. And it, it, and it's timely too. I just had a conversation with my daughter earlier this week about, about problems. <laughs> And helping her to reframe this concept because she was struggling with math. And uh, at some point, I was sharing with her, you know, all math is is problems. It's just a bunch of problems that you're, you're working to solve. And it can actually be, actually be fun trying to, to figure out the steps to solve this. And if you get a problem wrong 
and you have to go back and redo your work and redo the whole thing, now we can see, okay, what at what point did I make an error? Right. What can I correct? What can I tweak here? And that's a different way of thinking about the word problem than most of us as adults think about it. Right, right. Yeah. Since you since I mentioned etymologies, and by now you know that I'm a nerd about etymologies, I looked up the etymology of the word problem. And it comes from a Greek provolane and then in, into the Latin provolane. And it, it is pro, which is forth, and mm-hmm. balane, which is to throw, like in ballistic. Huh. And when you put those together, it's to throw forth. And it was all about, for the Greeks, it was to throw forth a question or a situation for the discussion amongst many. Hmm. And, and this, is, this is what the original intent was. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you talk to somebody, oh, Houston, we have a problem. And it's like, oh, my God, let's hide, you know, right. or we say, well, let's blame somebody. But that's not how society moves forward. Correct. I, I love that. I love that. To throw forth. To, to throw, throw forth, forth question. into the center. And then you have as many people as you want, cross-functional, diverse perspectives, integrating in, into the solution and saying, oh, how do, how do we solve this together? You know, and so we've lost that. And, and since you mentioned your daughter studying with math, a lot of this, the textbooks will have answers in the back of the book. And that's a problem yes, in itself because when you get out, you expect that life is going to throw at you answers in the back of the book. But the problem is there's no book. Right, right. What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to do? This is a sticky situation. And the answer is, well, it depends. It depends. <laughs> and you have and just because I give you this really amazing answer or, or statement or phrase to use, it doesn't mean it's going to work in every single situation. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. That's how. So you have to navigate life, learn, learn, and learn from every trial and error. Learn, learn, and learn. And that's the name of the game, I think. Well said. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today. And if anyone is interested in learning more about you, where should they go? I think the best place is you can go to my website, samyankelevich.com. But Mm -hmm. if you look for me on LinkedIn, I'm pretty active. I'm writing posts and uh, I have a newsletter that I put out every month. And of course, my courses, if you like to, I mean, these are courses that are usually 30 minutes, 40 minutes. So if you can skip Netflix for a little bit and, and do a course, you might learn something and, and take it home. They're made simply with a lot of learning and development ideas to make it easy for the learner to grasp new knowledge. I know I learned something today. So thank you. Thank you so much. I hope that you have a wonderful day, sir. Likewise, happy Friday, and thank you for the invitation. It was, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Lead with Levity podcast. To get resources mentioned in this episode and find out what we're all about, check us out at leadwithlevity.com.